They say that life is full of opportunities, right? So why are so many of us dreading getting out of bed to face another day? I know what that's like. My life was full of conflict, stress, failure, and fear. When I got cancer for the second time, my choice was simple, change or die. Today, I love waking up. I love my life. I love owning my own business that is helping people learn and grow. So how do you unlock that kind of transformation in your life? Let's discover the answers together as we hear from ordinary people like you and me and their extraordinary success stories. My name is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. All right. Welcome, welcome, everyone. I am so excited to have our guest here today. We have Paul Vandenstein. Is that how you say it? Van Steenis. Van Steenis. Ooh. So Paul Van Steenis. And Paul is from Long Beach, California, and he is the youngest of four kids. He was a drug addict for years, has horrible ADHD, and has now started two businesses and speaking at his church. I love that. Oh my gosh. So cool. So Paul, welcome to our show today and tell us what happened. How did you get to that place in your life where you were addicted to drugs? So growing up, like I said, the youngest, like you just introduced, as the youngest of four and my dad does humanitarian relief for a living. So he was often gone for, you know, three, four weeks at a time. And by the time I was maybe 10 or 11, I was the only one left in the house with just my mom. And Mm -hmm. so... I had free reign to do whatever I want. I grew up on the beach. Beach was my babysitter. And just through being curious and being bored, slowly started smoking weed. And then, you know, I got a surfing injury. I broke my shoulder really bad and I got prescribed Oxycontin. And over a period of maybe three years, I went from just smoking weed to full-blown IV heroin user. In a year? Three years. Three years. Sorry. Wow. Three years of just starting from smoking weed, it sounds like, and then you went to pills because of your injury, which I hear that all the time. I can't even tell you how many times that people that I hear about their addiction, it starts with something similar to that, where they have an injury and they're just taking it to help with the the pain. And then you get addicted to these painkillers and then it just, it, it's almost like it draws you to want more, doesn't it? Is that kind of what happened? So when I ran out of my prescription from the doctor, the first day I was so sick, I thought I had food poisoning. Wow. And then it, it just didn't go away. And one of my other buddies at the time said, you're dope sick. And I didn't even know what the term meant, but it meant I was in withdrawal. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't get another script and, you know, didn't have insurance at the time, was an irresponsible kid. And Somebody brought heroin, I immediately felt better. And uh, that was the start of it. Wow. So tell me, you said that you had these prescriptions, you ended up uh, running out because the doctor wouldn't prescribe you anymore, I'm guessing. And so then you actually were looking elsewhere. So how old were you at this time? This would have been, I really got into the, the heroin thick, like when I moved away for college. So 19 to early 20s. Somewhere in that range. You were young. Yeah. Okay. So here you are, you're looking for heroin and where do you find that? So this is how crazy America is. The heroin trade in America 
that I was involved in, it functions almost as a legitimate business. Like there's a number you call and you have to pay somebody that knows the number. And then uh, what? You, call, you call the number and they'll say, go to the corner of like Maine and fifth and look for the red Impala. And then when that red Impala goes by, you follow it and they'll drive around to make sure nobody else is following them. And they'll pull over and, and give you whatever you need. Oh my goodness. You're it, kidding it, me. This is the first time hearing this. Like I had no idea that that is how people do it. So this is in California, obviously. So there's, so I'm I, guessing. I, I, I moved to New Orleans to go to school and I like, I wasn't, New Orleans is a terrible place for a troubled youth. I loved it, but not conductive. So I went to uh, Oklahoma to a private Christian university actually called Oral Roberts. And I graduated miraculously with honors even, but I was strung out the whole time. But so this was in Oklahoma. Okay. So you're in, so how'd you get to Oklahoma from California? <laughs> when I was left California, I went to New Orleans to go to school. My oldest brother lived there. Uh-huh. And so I moved with him to start college. And then just because my behavior was so ludicrous, he was like, can't live here anymore. So I moved to Oklahoma to go to school at Oral Roberts. Okay. And did, did your parents send you there or? No, they, one of my cousins was there and I'd already gotten in. I had applied because I'd wanted to go there when I was younger and just, uh-huh. there was no rational thought behind it. It was just, oh, there's a place I can go. They have dorms that are included. I'm there. Okay. So were you raised Christian? Is that why you're in a Christian facility now or were? Yeah, I was raised in a Christian home. It was never pushed or like they never tried to force it, but uh-huh. I, yeah, I don't know. I still to this day don't know how I ended up at school there. It was a wild decision. Wow. The, Maybe a God uh, thing. It, so, yeah. so here you are now you're at this school and you're, you're strung out the whole time you said, but yet you, you graduated with honors. I, yeah, I graduated with honors, which I, I don't know how I did it. My sister didn't even believe I was graduating when she came up for the graduation ceremony. Oh. And so yeah, I graduated with honors and still strung out. And then I, after I graduated school, I was at my house and I was, I was selling weed to fund my habit and Oklahoma is not a friendly state. I had a big arrest go down. DEA was there, whole nine yards. And so that was like my first like real trouble I'd ever been in. Okay, and, wait. So I want to make sure I have this clear. So you're graduating. This is right after graduation? It was probably maybe eight months to a year and a half at the most after graduation. Okay. And you're still in Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so you're in Oklahoma, you graduated, your sister obviously didn't think you were, but, but uh, it happened uh, somehow, and uh, now you're still strung out, and you now at this point are getting arrested, and you're going to jail. Yeah, yeah. so I'm uh, sorry, I bounce around a lot, as you can tell, but so oh, I- no, you're uh, good. Yeah, I started selling weed to support my habit, because there's no way you can fund a heroin addiction not working or not- and you can't right. support it anyways, but especially without working. And so being from California, I knew I could get weed really cheap and Oklahoma wasn't friendly to it. So it was expensive there. And so anyways, I got arrested and that was a whole process. Went to court, went to jail for a little bit. I got really lucky. Instead of them sentencing me to any serious crime, they gave me a deferred sentence for seven years. And so. So what does that mean? So that means be- if I haven't gotten any more trouble at the end of it, it's off my records. So like that whole crime, I don't And you have didn't on. have to go to jail at all? Or you did, did. for a I little did. bit, but I not. I just a little bit of time, but nowhere oh. near what I deserve. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So now you're, you've got the seven years to stay clean. Were you clean during that seven years? Yeah. Well, 
Not really. So I got out of jail. I did well for a little bit, you know, and it's mainly fear. It wasn't like I was trying to do well. I was just afraid of getting in trouble again and couldn't sustain it. And so one night I was, I don't remember the details of it because of the nature of what happened, but one night I went out and woke up in the hospital, had OD'd. And my girlfriend at the time called my sister and was like, look, your brother's in the hospital. Nobody knows where he's at. He like took off. Um, I didn't have a shirt or shoes apparently. And she said he's been addicted to heroin for, you know, X amount of years. And my family knew I, I I partied and did drank and and smoked weed and things like that. They didn't know the extent of it, like IV heroin use, you know? Right. And so my sister, uh, as a result of that said, like, Hey, I'm bringing you to Houston. Like you can go to rehab or we'll figure it out. Like we don't know what, but we know like you got to get out of Oklahoma. And so from there I came to Houston and I went to rehab here and I was doing really well. And then my mom and my dad moved from California to Houston. My mom had Parkinson's and after my mom died, I just crashed and burned super hard. Mm. I've heard that before too. You lose somebody that you really care about it. It just kind of dives you a little deeper. So, okay. So your mom has passed and I, sorry about that. That's a hard thing. So she's passed and now you're just spiraling downward. Well, yeah, so I found a lot of meaning in my mom being in Houston because all my siblings are attorneys. They all work. So like I spent every day with my mom, took care of her, hung out. And so when she passed, it was really unexpected, even though she was sick. And it, yeah, that sent me on a bad downward spiral. But the thing is, is I had almost planned it because I knew she was going to die at some point. And I was playing like, oh, that's my great, like when I can do it again and nobody can say anything to me about it. And uh, <laughs> So you were kind of, I mean, at that point, you there was no... You didn't have anybody to account to. I mean, you obviously still had your dad, but maybe you did, you were trying to stay clean for your mom. Is that what you're saying? I, I don't really like my mental thought behind it was like, I was enjoying life at that point. Like I love being with my parents every day. I love being around my family. And mm-hmm. for so long I'd been like on the outcat, like I isolated myself, always blame them, you know, like, yeah, you guys don't invite me or you guys never bring me or whatever, but really yep. they couldn't, like I wasn't any state. But when I started being around them all the time as a normal human, I loved it. And yeah. so you probably I, missed it. It gets crazier. It's like, I'm, I'm still getting to the, the craziest parts of it. So on top of like getting strung out again, I decided I was going to like date this girl who, and I ended up marrying this chick. And like, she, she, I told her I'd done heroin in the past, but didn't tell her I was still doing it. Like she found out on our honeymoon that like us, that I was doing it again. And so of course that didn't last very long. And yeah, it was right after that, like divorce and like going through it and just like didn't have a place to go. Um, my dad had gone out of the country for like a couple months. I let a bunch of strangers stay in his house. Just all crazy, not good decisions. Wow. And like my dad came back to like four strangers sitting in his living room that he had never met. Like all, his house was trashed. Uh, oh, no. This is terrible. Okay, so so here you are. You're in your dad's house. You've trashed it. He comes home. What happens at that point? So this is where, like, I have one of the best families on the planet. My dad has every right to still not talk, like, still shouldn't talk to me by all accounts and measures. But all he said was he said, son, I had a very sad homecoming, but I love you the same no matter what. What can we do to move past this point in your life? Wow. Wow, what a dad. I was expecting him to come down like with a hammer, you know? And so that was kind of a first like chiseling away at like all the like resentment and just anger I'd built up. So mm-hmm. I was expecting to just be cast away, you know, and they, they actually embraced me after that. 
amazing. Wow. I love that. So, so did you spiral further from there? That was the point where I started doing like, I didn't get completely better. Like I didn't stop completely messing around, but like that was the starting point of making positive. Of making some better choices. So you maybe weren't, maybe you were still doing heroin, but maybe you weren't shooting up quite as much. Or I went to rehab again. Um, and I was doing really well and I, but I still had another relapse after that. And I told my, and I had to go to jail from the stuff that happened in my dad's house because when they came to my dad's, like I got arrested for paraphernalia or something of the sorts. And so after I got out of jail was like, I, I hadn't done any heroin since I got out of jail that, that last time. So you said you've actually been to rehab several times. How many times at this point have you been through rehab? I've been four now. And I, I tell oh, people wow. all the time, like rehab does not work unless you have like Already. the mindset, I'm done. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and for me, uh, the thing for me that why rehab never worked is I was always around the rehab, like that culture of recovery and that culture of rehab where they say, oh, relapse is just a part of it. It happens and it's okay. And And for me, like I needed to completely extract myself from that mindset. Right. I, I agree with you. I agree. I think I mean, I, I get why they do it. They probably do it. So they're just letting you know that it does happen, but it almost gives you that mindset of, well, okay, I haven't had relapses yet. So, or maybe I've only had one or two. So, you know, I get that because when my daughter was in rehab, same scenario, same thing. And I remember her saying that very same thing about, you know, they say you only, you go through rehab and usually it's three or four times before it but I think you're right. I think it's right here in your mind. It's yeah. like a mindset. You, you finally have that shift to where you're like done, right? So tell us when you were done, what, where were you at at that point when you just totally said, I, I'm done? So, well, so when I was waiting to go to court for, you know, the charges I picked up from the event at my dad's, the court system, like the judge, which is a wise judge. I hated her at the time, but instead of letting me check out to like a real posh, like nice vacation style rehab, she made me go to the Salvation Army on house arrest and put me on an ankle monitor, which was like the most, you ever want to be like humble, wear an ankle monitor. Like it's the most degrading thing in the world. But so after that, I was done. Like I I stayed at the Salvation Army for like four months or something. And, uh, at the end of it, I just went and served like a little 30 or 40 days or whatever I had to do. And I, I was done at that point. Like that, that for me was the end of it. Like I, I'd embarrassed myself. I'd embarrassed my family. Like just, there was no meaning to my life other than anything that was getting high. Like that was it. And so. So you hit rock bottom at that point. You knew it was either change or you were going to die probably. Or yeah, like spiral. I, I've always been a very optimistic, like find the silver lining you know about the Enneagram, like I'm a seven to the max. And okay. uh, they, like, I, like, I've never been suicidal. But like at that point in my life, I was like, there's really no point in me living. Like, I don't add anything to anybody's life. And my own life is miserable. Like what, what's the point of this? And, uh, you know, I just, I decided, well, let's give it a shot. Like doing what all these people that actually care about me and have stayed here through all this calamity. Like, let's give it a shot to see what, if they're saying is legit. Okay. So what did you do at that point? So I went to a Tony Robbins event in, uh, ah, love that. I love Tony Robbins. He's I amazing. Went to UPW and you know, the Dickens exercise and the limited beliefs. One of the things I always had a tendency to say about pretty much anything was, Oh, I don't care. It's whatever. I don't care. And so I, I finally realized like 
I really do care about most things and I really have a lot of concern for what's going on. And that attitude of saying, I don't care is what led me to make these decisions where I'm at now. Mm, I love that. You're right. And so, and I was always embarrassed about it too. Like I was embarrassed about like I'd get upset or like have empathy for people that were being, you know, mocked or, or bullied or whatever, like thinking I was a weak person. And uh, out of the Tony Robbins event, and, and I went in, I thought it was Richard Simmons was who I was going to see. Like I had no clue <laughs> why my sister was taking me there, like what it was about. And uh, yeah, it blew me away. And then the other thing that helped me immensely was I decided like, I'm not going to ever identify myself as an addict. I'm not going to let people call me an addict. Like I'm not going to associate with anybody that's involved in that, in that realm at all. And changing the people I was around changed my life probably more than anything. Okay. So, so your sister took you to this event. It sounds like. Yeah. She, my, my sister is actually the lawyer for a really big church in Houston called Lakewood. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so she had, I don't know how she got linked up with it, but she went and was a freak of nature when she first came back. Like, I remember the first day she got back from the one I didn't go to, she was like screaming in her room. And I thought she was getting beat up or like somebody broke in and she was like, I'm getting a <laughs> I got to warn me about that. But, so screaming meaning she was excited or what, what was she? She was getting in peak state is what she told me. Oh, was, gotcha. Yes. He does talk about stuff. peak state. Yes. Yes. I totally know what you're talking about. Okay. So, so you go to this event, you decide, that's it. I'm making this change. I am going to totally change my life. I'm going to change who I'm around. I'm going to even change the way I talk. Like, I'm not going to talk about the addict and all of that stuff. I'm just going to focus on getting better. So, so what, it, what did you do to get better? Like, how did you get away from totally getting away from the drugs completely? So th- this was a hard part for me because I felt I didn't realize it at the time, but like I rooted a lot of my identity in drugs, you know, and like I, lo- I rooted a lot of my identity in like being a party kid or like being a stoner. Like, I don't know if I thought it was cool or what I thought, but I, I rooted a lot of my identity in that. Mm-hmm. And so something that, that the Tony Robbins event really helped me with was like realizing like what my identity is and it, it's none of, it's none of that stuff. And so honestly, how I got better was I stopped trying to get better. Like I just lived being myself. When, when I was trying to get sober to all the time. Were. Yeah, when I was trying to get sober all the time, I was always so worried about, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And when I lost that mentality of like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I get to, I get to, I get to, like I get to live. Ooh, I, can, I get love to do that. that. I and, love it. So you just shifted your mindset instead of, like you said, instead of talking about all the things you can't do, Talk about all the things you actually get to do yeah, that are positive, that are good. So, wow. So you made this huge shift and totally changed your life around. And, and, and then, I started keeping a gratitude journal, which it sounds so oh, cheesy and cliche. Love, love gratitude journal. No, you're perfect. I love it. When I wrote, I could only write like three things. I wrote like that I'm alive in my bike and my dog or something like that. And that, that was it. Now it's like, all right, a half a page and I have to stop. Oh man. So, so you continue that journey. You're continuing to grow that. And, and now you're actually at a place where you own two of your own businesses and you're just thriving. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so the business stuff, like I, I had a couple of years where like I was working for people and I was wondering like, why am I working so hard for somebody else that, you know, they don't appreciate it. And, you know, like I'm, I'm really working harder than I, I can work this hard for myself and I know I could succeed. And so 
one day I was in an Uber and I was talking to the Uber driver who was starting a business. And I said, Hey, I could really help you with this, this, and you know, a couple of things that you needed done. And then I figured out, I better figure out how to do those things. I just volunteered to help with. And so, <laughs> so you didn't even know how to do it at the time. It, no, I'm, this is how skewed my thinking was. I, I thought, well, I just need to be one step ahead of him. So it's, no, that's not skewed. Actually, a lot of the teachings that you have, they talk about that. You don't have to be so far ahead, just one step ahead. Yes. Yeah, so any, anyways, long story short, I ended up doing some marketing and some and some social media stuff for him and a couple a couple little other things and did a, I guess I did a good job because my next two clients were referrals from him. Wow. And then, uh, yeah, I've just been rolling with just that. Just kind of propelled you know, you forward from there. I love it. I love it. Wow. You know, I obviously, I think there's some people praying for you as well, because it sounds like there were some significant things in your life that really uh, helped. So those of you that are praying for some of your family members, keep praying. It helps. It works. And Paul, your story is just fascinating and amazing. And I know you have two businesses, but it sounds like you are actually taking some time off this next year and you're going to travel the world. Is that right? Yeah. So with my clients now, I've, I've set myself up where I can, everything's pretty much automated for the okay. ones that I have now. And so next year, I got a bunch of things going on my, and my sister's launching a business I really want to help her with. And as a family, we've decided we're going to travel a bunch anyways. Oh, I love and it. So, I love it. So where are you going? No, I don't know. I know my sister and I were going to a Tony Robbins event in January. We go to Chicago in January. And then the schedule just opened itself up. And I'm probably going to go to Disney World a couple of times. And then overseas Hi. trips with my dad doing humanitarian relief. I'm going to Greece to do like a wheelchair distribution oh, thing with I family. I love it so much. Oh, my goodness. My sister wants to go to Israel. And she has a tour she's going on. But like I I don't do well on tours because I always just want to jet off. So I don't know if I'll go with her. But I, want, I want to go to Israel. I love that. Wow. Still be working, just not, not. Yeah, bare, not, not, not maybe. So, so I'd love to have you back another time and maybe talk a little bit. Tell it, tell us what your business is though. So that people just, so they'll know who you so are. I called it Van Street Consulting and uh -huh. it, it pretty much just, I, I, tell people how to market. I'm in this, I'm setting up a course right now that I can teach to that'll be like a one day marketing department for small business owners. Nice. So I'm working on getting my stack all in order for that, but pretty much I'll go in and take business owners that have this conception that marketing is going to cost them, you know, 15 grand a month or whatever. And I'll walk them through real basic and, and easy strategies that they can do. And I always tell them, I, I'm a, look, you can use the tools that I'm going to show you, even if you don't use me, but it'll just, it's up to you. Like, I don't go in like trying to get them to, to use me. I just go in to inform them. And then if they want to use me, they can. And if not, they still have the resources. Right. But I believe there's enough out there for everybody. Like even if they take my, you know, take what I'm doing and use it for themselves. Cool. Like I want to see people succeed. I love that. I love that. So do you have a website? I, I have a website that's being built right now. And so it's vanstreetconsultants.com. But right now it's being used for a taco truck that my family owns with our brewery. <laughs> That's okay. Well, we'll definitely look forward to, to seeing more about you when you get back and your business is moving. And I mean, it sounds like it's already moving, but w when they can actually look you up, I would definitely love to get some information from you in case somebody does want to connect to you. 
So if we can get that information so we could get it to our listeners, that would be awesome. And I'll uh, make sure. Yeah, I could, I'll shoot you my Facebook and my, my Facebook business profile and all that. And Okay, perfect, perfect. So what is your Facebook? Just it's under just, you? It's just my name. Okay. And then I have a business page for Van Street Consultants too. Very good. Perfect. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being able to share this amazing story of transformation. Could you tell me, I always ask my viewers at the very end is what was the one thing that made the biggest difference for you and your transition? Wow. The biggest thing for me, honestly, was there's two things. One of them, of course, is my family. Like without my family, I would still be destitute. Um, so family support. And yeah, like I talk to a lot of families that are like going through kids with addiction and whatnot. That's something I do to give back. And a lot of them are like right on that cusp of just wanting to throw the people away. And I read a book by a guy named Father Gregory Boyle, and he, he talks about empathy and understanding. And um, his premise in his book is that, you know, we need to get the people on the margins so we stop throwing people away. Like, so there are no more margins. And that. so my family was huge at like making sure that I didn't fall off the end of that abyss, you know. And then the other thing for me was like to stop listening to what like society says, stop listening to what, you know, experts or rehab said. I I knew the whole time what I needed to do to get sober, but I tried so hard to do what I was told by the experts. And when I finally just did what like I knew internally the whole time I needed to do, it worked. And so that that was a big thing for me because even with my family, like my family wanted me to go to sober living and like do all these things. And I just had to tell them, like, you guys, I know for me, like, I've done that before. And I know, like, internally in my soul, this is what I need to do. And when I finally just listened to my own heart and soul is when it, when it worked. So just listening to your gut, your gut people, feeling of what's right for you specifically. People know I, what they need to do, you know? Like, people I'm, already know what's right for them. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree. Well, Paul, again, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you being uh, here. and. Hopefully we can have you back sometime. And awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. This is Donna Gammon and this is Power to Grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave a review now and I will give you a free download of my blessed morning. This is something that is worth so much. It's what I use to get past my past, if you know what I mean. Until our next show, thank you again for joining us. This is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Thank you.